politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew every issue that matters in the way it matters at the time it matters. If you want that instead of the soap opera, well, this is your one-stop shop here at CR Podcast. Your host, Daniel Hurwitz, back here, end of the week, Friday. And as often on Friday, we do focus sometimes on things a little bit out of the news cycle that are nonetheless very important, even more important than what's in the news cycle. Uh, You know, what's interesting is I've always said the, the most powerful tool of the media is the power of obfuscation. It, it More than the bias of what they do report, it's what they choose to omit. Often they'll cover stories or cover up stories, obfuscate stories that are a million times greater in magnitude than the stories they cover, just in terms of how spectacular and consequential it is. Think about the Hawaii fires. It was maybe one day in the news Whatever happened to those thousand kids missing? Think about the border. There's things that you might know about, but they barely scrape the surface. People know there's a border invasion. We'll have a show on Monday with uh, our special guest, Michael Young. Uh, you know, he's the Green Beret down there in Panama discussing and reporting on just these violent, tattooed up people coming in the thousands. If people would see that, they'd, they'd, they'd go crazy. But they want to make sure you don't see that. Okay? Think about the Las Vegas shooting. So we're going to do another show, a part two from what we did two weeks ago, about the case of Billy Shamir Mir, probably the greatest serial killer in American history, smothered at least 24 seniors to death with pillows in four senior facilities and a couple of private homes, was able to do it back-to-back, often within a few days of each other in the same facility, and no one cared. And he wasn't caught until he, you know, accidentally kept someone alive, went on for two years. And no one knows about this story. Happened outside of Dallas, Dallas, Plano area. So we did a whole show on that. Glenn Beck covered it, and I'm very thankful that he did. And now Billy Shamir Mir is not getting the death penalty. Crazy, crazy story. So we'll have another uh, family member of one of the victims coming up. But first, I, I want to kind of transition this into some of the news of the day because I, I don't want to end today's show without getting to this, the latest on the budget fight and how that will actually help us advance an issue that otherwise are set of issues that otherwise would not get enough airtime with the public. And why that's so important. But first, our sponsor today, iTarget Pro. Look, I don't need to tell you about the ubiquitous crime and the need to defend yourself, the need to own and carry a firearm. The problem is, as we've said very often, too many people do not know how to use a firearm. They think they do, but they don't. Uh, You obviously got to train. We'll have another training course coming up at the end of the year. But whatever you do, you need to practice. Going to the range is often very time-consuming. Uh, it's hard to find good hours where I am, uh, so I stopped going for a while, and then it's very expensive to use ammo every time. 
iTarget Pro was invented so you could practice anytime in the safety of your home. You download the iTarget Pro app and you load the caliber that's for you. So you go to iTargetPro.com, iTargetPro.com, put an offer code CR, get 10% off at checkout, and you'll get these cubes, okay? And you could practice alone. You set them up, or you could use their app for their standard you know, board, and boom, it measures your timing, your accuracy, and it's a lot of fun. So the muscle memory, the trigger control, you get everything except for the recoil. It's the smartest, safest way to train. Just obviously make sure there's no one around. You point in a safe direction. You don't have live ammo on your body like in a mag pouch or something like that. Uh, but again, this is the way to practice the letter I, targetpro.com, itargetpro.com, offer code CR. So a lot of people are asking me, Daniel, I'm seeing there is this deal budding with McCarthy and, and the Freedom Caucus uh, to pass some form of a 30-day CR with certain provisions. Is it a capitulation? Is it good? The short and long of it is, like just like with the debt ceiling, if they stick by it and draw a line in the sand, I, I am all for it. Um, if it is an attempt to solve the Fourth Reich, I am for it. If it's just an attempt to avoid a government shutdown, then it's BS. So on the service, if they adopt what Chip Roy wants, then it will be a good plan. Here's the thing to understand. It's a two-step process. The ideal thing would have been to pass each of the 12 appropriation bills with the right spending levels and the right policies, and you know they, they would have stayed in through August recess, shown the American people they were serious, commanded the bully pulpit on each of those issues, and then gen the Senate, and then be like, look, we're going to move on to other business. We passed our budget bills. This is what the American people want. It funds all constitutional government. It doesn't fund unconstitutional or harmful government, so take it or leave it. Unfortunately, they didn't do that. So I could just say, oh, we're screwed. But look, Chip is trying to find a solution for where we are now. The next best thing to do is Obviously, there's not enough time to pass all the appropriation bills. Now, we said we don't want a CR. But the main reason we don't want a CR to continue the current spending levels and policies is if that CR is what they call, in Washington parlance, a clean CR, meaning nothing to it. Here's a blank check. But what if you gave them 30 days funding with some provision? So what it looks like is 30-day funding that attaches HR2 to it. What's HR2? It basically, it's the, it's the Chip Roy border bill that, among other things, bans catch and release. Bans bogus asylum. You know, it, 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 the border wall. There's some other provisions I'm not as into. Punishes uh, visa overstays. Side things, but the main point is it bans catch and release. That is the core of it. Now, look, there's spending levels and there's 10 major things and 100 smaller things we would love to have. It's going to be a judgment call how much you're willing to fund. Like, what, what if we got this and not that? 
But the bottom line is, none of this is going to be passed by the Senate at this point without going through a brinkmanship. There is going to have to be a government shutdown. The point is not a government shutdown. The point is to stand by these provisions, but you have to be willing to go over it. And at this point, you're going to have to go over for some duration October 1st and have some sort of lapse in funding. And that's fine. Bring it on. So right now, the goal is not so much, well, Daniel, it has the immigration stuff. Now, it might have defunding the ATF gun control. There's a lot of different ideas. Maybe you have some spending cuts in the CR, so continuing resolution, but at a you know 2% lower rate. The details aren't created yet. But the important thing is, number one, that it is something that up front the left won't agree to. Like, for let me just give you an example. What you don't want to see is a CR with some border security funding. No, you need a prohibition on catch and release. So, you know, up front, they're not, the Democrats aren't going to agree to it, but it's very defensible. I agree with Chip that you can't come to the American people up front with 100 different things. Now, we might ultimately fight in the end to get in defunding the vaccines, defunding training surgery, all the defunding the Green New Deal, but to, you have to get them to the fight. So you need one issue to rally behind. And I agree with him that I think the the border stuff is getting so out of control. It's something the American people do understand, at least most of it, more than I think other issues. It's a great messaging. How could you have a government? The whole purpose of a federal government is to protect the whole of the people. They're doing this. We're going to fund it. We're going to defund the invasion. And boom. I think that's a great position to stand behind. Now, you just have to make sure this is not like, oh, we have to have some sort of CR to make sure we don't have uh, a shutdown. And here we get all the conservatives to break their virginity on their pledge not to support a CR. So here's a CR. Oh, here's a good one. But then, you know, when the Democrats balk, we're going to fall back on something else. No, they have to make it clear that this is their one and only offer. And if the Dems are rejected, in fact, we will throw in even more stuff. Now, what it's likely going to take the form of is they might pass one of the long-term full-year appropriation bills, which will be DOD. So pass the full defense, full defense, and then the other 11 will work off of a continuing resolution for 30 days. Um, The defense bill, look, up front, does it have the spending levels where we want? Probably not. Does it have all the provisions dealing with the Fourth Reich military? No, but it does defund DEI, CRT, um, vaccine, mask mandates, things like that. Obviously, there's some amendments that they'll allow to vote on that probably will get voted down by the Democrats and and rhinos coming together. For example, CHIP has an amendment um, barring all recognition of Pride Month. The rhinos will probably vote that down. But to me, on net, it is worth supporting that. It's not so much that this is going to be the final bill, but this is a way of getting to 18, saying we are funding the government, we're funding defense, which is always the biggest you know, political football in a government shutdown. It puts the onus on Senate Democrats. Now, real briefly on that, 
it looked like the Senate was ahead of the House where all the Republicans were joining with the Democrats or most of the Republicans to allow them to have their forthright budget bills passed. Thankfully, Ron Johnson is holding up uh, those bills. So this is an opportune moment. I do support it. But again, the key is to stand behind it. It's not like, okay, uh, we, we can't have a government shutdown. Oh, okay, so here's this. But then three days later, they're going to panic. No, you have to be willing to message and stand behind it. What happens? Then you go through a shutdown. And then what you start doing is you start messaging your issues. They are shutting down the government because they want to cut your balls off. They are shutting down the government because they want to protect MS-13. They're shutting down the government because they want to protect Pfizer, yada, yada. And then you start doing things, okay, rather than, because you don't want to give away the big, all the big ticket funding, you, you go towards things like, okay, we'll fund not the entire Department of Interior, but just the national parks. You know, that's always a popular thing, it shuts down, yada, yada. And you start piecemeal, piecemeal, and let them vote against it. But the onus is not on you to capitulate on the key items with, you know, HHS funding, DOJ funding, we are holding that up until you give us what we want. Oh, but there's great things we like in government. That okay, fine, we'll fund them. And you pass that out of the House. And let the, let the Democrats be the ones balking. What I'm telling you is they have the leverage. See, even if they have 60 votes, you'd be surprised that one senator could reject a lot of unanimous consent uh, requests and really drag out the debate and make it you know, painful, take a full week to pass each thing in the Senate. So that's just where things are now. So yes, I support that, not necessarily as the end all, but to get them to the point where they are willing to go over the deadline, message some of the righteous issues we believe in, and stand behind it. You know, how much are you ultimately willing to agree to if we have the weaponization, we have the border, the, the vaccines, the training? Let's say you got some of it, ultimately, and we punch them until they cry uncle, and the American people clamor. That's something you have to gauge at the time. But the important thing is, one way to get beyond this one-day news cycle we're complaining about that our critical issues are ignored is to harness the platform of a budget brinkmanship and a government shutdown. So with that, I want to get to our guest. Our guest segment today is sponsored by our friends at Barrel Buddy. Okay, look, I just told you to do dry fire practice. That actually, you don't have to clean your gun. But inevitably, you do use your gun and you are going to practice sometimes with real ammo, as you should. Well, you can't just leave your firearm in your safe dirty forever. You got to clean it. I recommend Barrel Buddy. Why? It doesn't leave residual lint and fibers because it's not a cloth. It's a cartridge that fits perfectly into the barrel, gives you 360-degree compression, squeezes out a uniform application of the lube. I, I, I'm pissed off I didn't use this forever. I've only been using it this year. Uh, really an ingenious patent by three of our listeners in Michigan, three listeners that uh, created it. BarrelBuddy.com is the place to go. 50 of these cartridges come in a pack. You just 
you know, put in your right uh, caliber if you're nine nine millimeter or you know forty five cal, um, three fifty six magnum, and whatever it is, they have all of them, and then you get fifty of them for an entire. That that's enough easily to last for a year. A lot of you two three years, depending on how much you use it, and uh, fifteen bucks, fifteen bucks for fifty of them at BarrelBuddy.com today. So, folks, I, I want to connect this important interview and the rest of the show with really this budget fight and everything we're talking about. Thomas Jefferson wrote in a letter to William Jarvis, 1820, towards the end of his life, and Jarvis was never an elected official, but he was an important uh, politician in Jefferson's party. So Jefferson wrote to him, this was in the context of a broader point he was making against judicial supremacism that the federal courts aren't the end all and how ultimately, as we were talking about really yesterday, it's the people who have to stand up. And, and, and he made the following point. I know no safe depository of the ultimate powers of the society, but the people themselves. And if we think them not enlightened enough to exercise their control with a wholesome discretion, the remedy is not to take it from them, but to inform their discretion by education. This is the true corrective of abuses of constitutional power. And I would argue this is true of abuse of constitutional power and, and other societal ills. Ultimately, everything is a PR war. Why? Because you need PR for education. Ultimately, we are governed by the, you know, the popu popular sentiment. It shouldn't be that way, in my opinion. We should be a republic, but it is what it is, and it's kind of public sentiment rules. And that is why the media and the political class is so careful to guard what does and doesn't get out to the public. And you know, one of the things we talked about that is simply astounding is the fact that we have this murder, serial murder, in the greater Dallas area that occurred between 2016-2018, might be the greatest serial murder in American history, 24 known seniors smothered to death by Billy Shamir Mir, a criminal alien who should really have never been allowed to remain in the country, was, was you know, arrested several times before even murdering a single person. We've covered this a lot over the years from the perspective that it just didn't look like the Dallas county officials and then now recently Collin County officials wanted to give this the justice that it deserved, uh, the prominence it deserved. The media didn't cover it. Texas Republicans never talk about it. The state officials, the federal officials. Um, I was on with my buddy Glenn Beck and I'm so thankful he gave me uh, all that airtime. And, and he was like, I, I, I live in the area. I never heard of it. And, and by the way, just so you know, I want you guys to hear that I could say his staff did reach out to Willis, who is the DA of Collin County, and he decided that he'll join the Dallas County DA in not seeking the death penalty. They requested comment, and they did not hear back. So that's what I could just, that's the only news I have for you guys. But we don't want this story to die. Because every step of it has such a lesson here. And a big part of it is that senior lives don't matter. It's a systemic problem in our society. How could you have a situation like this where they don't want to get to the bottom of it? They don't want to uncover even – I mean because we know there's dozens more that were likely killed by him 
what, we just don't care? And then even the 22 known ones slated for indictment, they don't want to go to trial with them. So it's not just not seeking the death penalty. Even if you're someone that doesn't support the death penalty, it's not like they ever gave the families the sympathy, the um, the sense of purpose, the sense of justice that they were seeking. It's almost like they're bothering the prosecutors. So that that's bad enough. But then what I recently discovered is that this thing really was had a lot of malfeasance from day one. I thought this was the perfect crime where a guy just took a bunch of people that are 90 years old, went into their facilities or their apartments and smothered them and no one knew the difference and thought they died naturally. But the more I read about it, from day one, they were reporting burglary and theft and even the way the bodies were positioned didn't make sense. And... Then, then, then you would have similar situations days later in the same complex. Another report of of, of theft, and and then the, the, there's a suspicious guy trespassing, and it was never viewed as a burglary homicide. The entire time, it was always viewed. Yeah, they're old people that just kind of dropped dead. This was at the police level, at the senior care or senior living facility level at the medical examiner level. And then and that's why when you look at an unwillingness of the prosecutors to really indulge these cases, it really makes you wonder. So today, you know, two weeks ago, we had uh, two vi- family victims. Today, we have another very special guest. We're joined today by Daniel Probst of, uh, you know, the greater Dallas area, lives east of Dallas. And he is the nephew of what we've come to know as victim number one, Dr. Kathy Sinclair. This is so critical because what turned out to be possibly 23 to 60 subsequent murders could have been prevented based on taking the cues from our next guest. Daniel, I'm so sorry for what happened to your aunt, but I'm so glad to have you on today to tell us your story. Well, to quote Rodney Dangerfield, no respect for the elderly. No respect uh, for the elderly. That's 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 the sad state of affairs. Um, We were shocked to get the phone call that uh, uh, Aunt Kathy had passed away, as they said. Um, But then when we dug a little deeper into it, she was healthy. She had just come back from uh, her exercise class. She swam several times a week. Uh, I mean, everybody in their 80s has got a few aches and pains here and there, but sure. she was in great shape. Yeah, she was um, a beautiful woman, 87 years old, but like you said, swimming, you know, out and about. Um, wasn't she? She seems like a remarkable woman for that generation. It wasn't so common to have a, a female doctor, right? She was a physician and working into the in the ER until she was pretty old. Uh, until you know, well into into her early sixties, uh, she went uh, to medical school on VA. Um, she did a lot of work in uh, uh, VA hospitals. Uh, she was a, a therapist. For those coming back from the Korean War, um, so she served our country well. And uh, later on in her life, she worked um, extensively in emergency rooms 
uh, in the Pittsburgh area. So she was in the Pittsburgh area, and then you know, shortly before you know, 2016, before this this saga, she moved to. I guess you moved her down close to where you were in the Dallas area. Uh, she didn't have children, and and you were taking care of her, looking looking out after her. So she went to one of these uh, senior complexes in North Dallas, and so take us to this was April 2016 when she was murdered. Um, so, so you were pretty astonished because she was in good health. Um, but I, before I met you, I just thought, okay, I mean, no one thought anything different, but in fact, there was a lot different going on. Talk about what you, what you saw and, and what you reported. Well, I, I didn't physically go to the apartment. My brother did and my sister and, this was the day following her death. Uh, we were advised there was no need for us to come down because they were going to transport her body uh, to um, uh, UT Southwestern, which is normal. Um, but then the next day, my sister and brother said, well, her safe is missing. And I said, what? And immediately we called and asked them to seal the room. Um, and right away we knew that something was wrong. In addition to her safe being not, not there anymore, um, some of her very nice jewelry that she usually kept by the bed in the jewelry box, the real good stuff was gone. And, um, so we, we knew something was, was not right. Uh, we immediately made a, uh, robbery report. And because of the circumstances, um, I had to make out a homicide report uh, to facilitate getting an autopsy um, from Dallas County. Uh, they transported her body uh, out near my home and uh, called the undertaker. I said, don't, you know, don't touch her. She's going back to Dallas. And uh, the autopsy revealed According to them, uh, she died of natural causes. So it was just kind of brushed over very quickly. She died of natural no, causes. But, but Daniel, isn't it true that you saw or, or one of your siblings saw blood on the bed? Yes. And, you know, and that was according to the ME uh, when we got the report back. Um, you know, that slight hemorrhaging is, is to be expected. Uh, down the road, we had access to autopsy pictures showing uh, bruising, defensive wounds, um, uh, where he had his knee in her back, in her stomach. Ooh. Um, Wait, know, so, so how did the medical it, examiner say what he said? Well, eventually, a um, couple, almost four years later. Uh, they changed it from undetermined from uh, natural causes to undetermined cause of death, and in in that uh, revised autopsy, they alluded to uh, Shamir Mir's presence that day and at that time uh, at the facility where he had access, and uh, you know we know he had motivation. So, but he, but 
he was never charged with uh, my aunt's murder. He was never charged to this day. He's just one of the ones that is, uh, you know, placed at that time based on the cameras and, and different technology they, they, they have. So I'm trying to figure out what happened here. So, you know, typically when you have someone that dies suddenly and then there's defensive wounds and then their most valuable items are missing. So that's kind of a prima facie murder. So this is important because this was victim number one. A month later in that same complex is where we have what we think we know as victim number two, which is Phyllis Payne. Um, so this is very important. So you you actually filed for to, to open a homicide investigation, right? That, that's correct. I had to to get them to do an autopsy. So and that what, was part what did of they the do deal. with that? Um, they, to, well, we returned the body back to Dallas for the autopsy. That took about, it took several weeks. And, um, you know, they, they confirmed their initial finding. And their initial finding was a call to her uh, primary physician saying, uh, Catherine died. Why did she die? Blah, blah, blah. And, and, the they came to the conclusion at that time that uh, over the over a phone call without any examination uh, that it was natural causes, and then they went forward had the autopsy and they still stuck to that. Uh, by the way, Shamir Mir was arrested and given he was not arrested he was given a trespassing warning at the same facility within a week after Catherine's death. Within a week after her death and right as you were filing for a homicide investigation. So I want to bring this back to the Dallas police. So you have a senior facility. You have a a prima facie murder here, but they want to call it natural death. But you're saying, you know, you, you, you said the stuff was stolen. It didn't look right. And then a guy is caught trespassing. And then, if I have my timeline right here, a few weeks later, 91-year-old Phyllis Payne, who's at the same complex, is found dead suddenly when the, and the family reported mass theft of silver and jewelry. That's correct. And, and then so two, two well, how was there no review was- of the security footage then? Um, at that time, they were doing some extensive remodeling and about a third of the security cameras were not operating. We later found out, um, from one of the former employees uh, of the facility that, uh, Shamir Mir was accessing the place pretty much at will, uh, going in the employee entrance following employees in before the door closed. Wow. So he had he had his system figured out and carried it out for carried it out terribly for a couple of years. Th- that that's what's amazing how he was able to hang out in the same place for a while and murder multiple people before he would move on to another one. So so if I have this right, you you know about 2 weeks later filed um, 
two no well within two days right within two days of of correct of her murder both homicide robbery complaints with Dallas PD then he's caught trespassing or yeah you know, they didn't know it, that was the perpetrator but someone suspicious is caught trespassing then a few weeks later uh Phyllis Payne is you know dies suddenly but accompanied with the family reporting another theft and then um you know there's immediate report of burglary multiple instances and then on April 19th um or no that was the warning but 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 then on June 18th less than 2 weeks after the third victim Phoebe Perry is murdered Shamir Mirror was arrested so that he was caught again and he was arrested so so they they know he was trespassing they well, they they never put two and two together. So, so, um, but I want to build this for my audience because I'm trying to figure this is this is the central thing I can't figure out. I can understand you catch a random guy trespassing, you want to lock him up, and then you know people in their 90s they do die, so you didn't put two and two together. But in this case, it was more than that. You you filed a complaint for for homicide and robbery, then the guys then a random guy is caught you know, trespassing. Okay, tell him not to come back. Then you have a second victim who dies, but then they report a a robbery. And then a third one, I'm not sure if there was a robbery report, but right before that, now he's caught trespassing. So freeze frame at that point. You're asking Dallas PD to investigate a, a homicide, and then you have this guy arrested for trespassing, how was that not followed up on? And the, the security cameras, all this. They, um, you know, with all due respect to the Dallas police, they are so undermanned, understaffed, and underpowered. Um, the people later on down the road that I worked with in, in homicide, well, fantastic people. There's just not enough of them. But, but what about from the standpoint of the facility management? Um, to me, it's just inexplicable how his arrest, after he was a known loiterer there, didn't trigger some sort of look into the thefts. Because you had a simultaneous complaint of a homicide and theft. I mean, to me, this reeks of this very strong inertia that if you're above a certain age your death is just a death no matter what. Is that your kind of uh, sense of it? That Totally. Um, you know, people do die all the time. Catherine, you know, as far as we know, was the first uh, in this series. So they may have been caught off guard a little bit. Um, and naturally, they don't want to go publicizing murders in an upscale uh, senior living facility. Yes. Um, but then when it happens a second and a third time, um, there, you know, there was no public publication of this at all. The, the residents weren't even warned. See, that that's what bothers me when you filed. Forget it. Obviously, you know, 2020 hindsight and everything. And no one's going to think you have this this psychotic mass murder running around but what you do know prima facie is that you have a sudden death and a burglary that much you do know and how you wouldn't put out a notice to the residents and their families that hey you know there's a burglary reported alongside someone dying 
and then we have a trespasser. Oh, and then he's arrested for the second time after you had two more murders, and he was sentenced to 70 days, uh, only served 12 days, which always happens. Uh, by the way, I would just point out, this is where you know the other aspect of this is relevant, that he had outstanding charges and convictions for DWI and assault, so that should have triggered uh, an ICE hold. So typically when someone's charged for domestic charges, they serve time in prison, but then they're a foreign national, ICE should have grabbed them. Um, that was during the Obama administration's kind of, you know, lax enforcement. So I don't, I don't, I never got the full details on that. I don't know if your family, the families have, but right there, freeze frame was yet another opportunity that whether they knew of the murders or not, he should have been removed pursuant to just what he was charged with, but he wasn't. And then I have this down in my notes here. Uh, he was out to murder at least, again, at least another 19 people just seven days later. Seven days later is when he started um, at, you know, at the next they facility. Had, they had him and they let him get away. And, and then to, the he, tune of, yeah. to the tune of about another 20 murders. Another 20. And, and then again, seven days later. It's not even like he lied low. That's what I'm saying. You know, it's one thing if it's a house here, a house there with a senior living alone. These were in, in complexes. The security you would think you should have, the, the cameras, and then the theft reported, the multiples, the trespassing, and then went on to the next one. This one he did three known, the next one at least nine, again, often within a short period of time. So walk me through. It, 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 was, like, it was like he just changed banks. He went up the road to the next really nice uh, facility and parked out there and, and milked that for about six months. And then he moved again. So describe for me, obviously, again, this was the, the murder of your aunt was April 2016. About two years later is when he was ultimately arrested when he only because he had a really two failed attempts and one of the survivors was able to ID him. But um, what happened in between that period of time? So what did you know and not know? Obviously, I'm, I'm assuming you suspected it was a murder. Well, it, we pursued uh, robbery detectives and homicide detectives uh, throughout that summer and got nowhere. Uh, they were way too busy. As a matter of fact, a number of times that we called, they informed us that those detectives were actually out on patrol trying, uh, trying to keep the crime down in the city, not necessarily on robbery, not necessarily, they were replacing beat cops. So that, that went exactly nowhere. And, um, you know, and we just, we buried Kathy. She had a, a military funeral and, um, we just tried to move on. You just tried to move on, but 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 I, I myself cannot get this case out of my system, as you well know. I I don't understand how the families are supposed to have closure because here here's what really gets me. Each one alone, you could explain. Yeah, no one thought of this, but then okay, 2018 March 2018, he's arrested. They uncover the plot. They're like, holy heck, this is this is beyond anything. Um. What, how do you feel you were embraced or treated by 
the police, the criminal justice system. Thereafter, I would think there would be an alacrity. Again, before we get to the death penalty, I want to go in chronological order here, just in terms of getting the indictments, the trials, um, and uncovering the scope of this plot, what went wrong, how did this go on? Do you have any answers to that? Um, well, he just he moved moved to different facilities and very methodically. Um, you know, he was down to uh, he had built his own science on how to smother and steal, uh, and then he moved to a third facility. And then he started uh, uh, shopping Walmart. He would back his car into the facing the handicapped spot and wait for somebody to go, an elderly person to go in that looked well off, follow him through. And then when they came out, he'd follow them home and assault and murder them. So... Typically, whenever you have something of this magnitude, A, everyone in the country would have heard of it. Everyone in Texas would know every detail about it. Um, B, you would have this pursuit of justice to go to trial to obviously uncover the scope of it. You know, why why are they not investigating the other suspicious deaths? And then, obviously, the final thing is the death penalty. But... What I'm seeing is there's only there were only two trials. They just wanted to quickly make sure to get a life without parole, no no death penalty, and then no and, and and this is not so much the prosecutors and this is more the state legislature, the governor, but no discussion of whoa, we just had our own version of of like a nine eleven. Uh, what are we gonna do to re- address the security issues? In, in senior facilities, because, you know, I was telling some of the your friends who are, you know, the family members of victims that to me, even if there's only one Billy Shamir mirror in the world, but what we do have a lot of nowadays more than ever is a ton of street crime, a ton of thugs out of prison. And these are very vulnerable people. And you can't have a, a, a living complex of seniors where where anyone could just come in like that. So I feel there's no closure on any of those fronts. I want to start first with the legal proceedings and then go to the public policy stuff you're working on. So on the legal end, um, you're telling me that Shamir Mir wasn't even indicted in this case for, for Dr. Sinclair? Oh, there were, there were, I know of at least two, maybe three other uh, families who were in the same boat. They were never indicted. And I... I was able to, you know, we share a lot of information and looking at their autopsies when they were available, the litany of strangulation, uh, uh, smothering evidence is right there on other uh, autopsies in addition. And they were never charged. Did did, did, Um, did you get an answer from Crusoe's office? Crusoe's the Dallas County DA. I mean, did you get any answer? Because, again, Crusoe didn't want to go for the death penalty, but then also a number of cases he's not even trying. Did he just say, we don't have the evidence, we don't have the time, he's already life without parole? I In, in 2020, I met with uh, Crusoe's right-hand man, uh, Glenn Fitzmartin, uh, for about an hour and a half. And, um, you know, they just explained to me that, that he, you know, they've got two indictments, that they're taking to trial. 
and that's all the further that they wanted to go. Uh, and they wouldn't even they wouldn't even acknowledge the evidence on the autopsy after her autopsy was changed from natural causes to undetermined. My objective was to get a change from natural causes to homicide, but I was not successful. That that is unbelievable that you are suspected as the first case and they won't even go to trial, much less obviously the death penalty issue. So to move on to that, we're like, all right, so there's something wrong with, with Dallas County. Uh, we already kind of know that with Cruzo. All right, but we're we're like, thank God. I mean, not thank God, it's a terrible tragedy, but at least if you're gonna have the murders, at least that it wasn't all in Dallas County. There are nine known in Collin County, so they're certainly gonna take care of it. But as we talked about two weeks ago, so when Cruzo announced no death penalty two years ago and no new indictments, so the understanding well, was and then, and then, yeah. excuse me, then then to top that off after the second conviction. He dropped the indictments as if they never existed. So you're saying legally, it's not just that he didn't go to trial, but he dropped them? He dismissed them, okay? Wow. So it's like, he's you know, we're done with this. Let's move on to the next, the next thing. Th- this is just so all, the most, yeah. All of those families, you know, for the rest of their lives will have no satisfaction on, you know, from the state or from the county that this ever happened. Yeah, to me, that's astounding. And and I think it's, that's why I wanted to bring you on today, that it's about a lot more than just the death penalty. That's just one of many observations that demonstrate that there is almost a callous disregard and almost a willful just desire to make sure no one knows about this. Cause it's almost like the, that the goal is that people don't know about it. So the more you have trials going on, the more it gets in the media. Certainly the more you have a capital trial, the more it gets in the media and they don't want that for whatever reason we could have our suspicions. So to move on to Collin County, obviously your case would be Dallas, but you're, you work together with other families and you figured, all right, well, there's nine more. Um, I, I wrote an article at the time when Crusoe said he wasn't seeking the death penalty, but I didn't run around with it like my hair was on fire because I assumed that, all right, we'll get him. You know, you can only kill someone once, so we'll get it through Collin County. And Collin County gave every impression they were going to do it, so we kind of dropped our war footing on the thing. And then suddenly... Um, Ellen contacts me a couple weeks ago and says, uh, D.A. Willis in Collin County says he's not going for the death penalty. And I looked at the media reports and there's no reason given. So what in the world? How how do you bridge that gap? I I hate to say it, but it does get worse. Um, Right now, you've got nine families or nine or ten families in Collin County that are dreading hearing that they will their cases will never be tried. We had a meeting in Collin County last November, almost a year ago, and I asked point blank uh, Bill Worski, the uh, I think he's the lead prosecutor. I said on a on a scale of one to ten, if you take this to trial on a death penalty, 
how certain are you that you will get a conviction? And his answer to my face was 100% sure. Yep. 100%. So, so yeah. I can only feel, feel, feel betrayal here. And, and, and nothing they're saying bridges that gap of time because any excuse they give, A, it it would have been true back then. So what you know what happened in between? And B, it would be true on every single murder for the rest of time. In other words, it's well, he didn't murder anyone subsequently in prison, or it's it's too much money or time or what what whatever that is, or it will take too long. That that's always true. That that was well, true. Somebody for, yeah. somebody claimed that he was the model prisoner. <laughs> So what, what does it have to do with anything? By the way, do you remember I'm, what I'm saying? You're, you're, you're older than me. I'm sure you remember being a Texan, Carla Faye Tucker in the late 90s. Yeah. That that case. I mean, you you always had that where they say they 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 found God. They they you know became a minister in in well, in prison. From, that happens all the time. Under, from what I understand, God is very prevalent in prisons. Well, certainly when it comes to this, and, and again, like George W. Bush, it was a big test for him. He was going to run for president. Maybe it was 98, 99, around then, maybe in 2000. It was maybe, I think maybe when, when he was running for president or they thought he was running. And I remember that was a big test for him, and obviously he didn't listen to that because that was just, you know, if you, you either believe in the death penalty or you don't. Once you believe in it, if you did the murder and it was heinous and you meet the qualifications, I mean, that's that's for God to sort out afterwards. What? Um, that that to, never has bearings go, on it. To go one step further with uh, Collin County, um, it's not that Wierski has never gotten a uh, death penalty conviction. And uh, about eight years ago or so, um, there was a case in the county that I live in, Kaufman County, where he was the lead prosecutor, and he was able to get a death penalty for three murders. So he's been there before yep. and done it before, but uh, they decided at this point they're not going to go for a death penalty. They complained about costing too much. Uh, yep. They complained about having to go to Kenya and research. And, and and some of these complaints we got from both Dallas and Collin counties. Um, and the biggest fear is that they're not going to pursue even a life imprisonment for the other nine victims in Collin County. So, and, so that, uh, we, I wanted to get know. to that because the impression I got from the so you're you're a Dallas County situation, but but so so you, your case wouldn't be done by Willis's office. But what makes the lack of pursuit of the death penalty all the more absurd and suspicious is the fact that, like you just said. It appears that they don't even plan to pursue anything. In other words, I can understand you're like, you know, we're not going to go for all 20 whatever. But you did two in Dallas County. You'd think Collin County would at least want one. Okay, just one for Collin County. But you're saying you have not heard that they're taking any one. Uh, We have not heard either way. But the way this was... Uh, came out of the blue that they were not going to pursue the death penalty um, were very fear- fearful that they're they're just going to wash their hands of it and and move on to something else. 
uh, folks, th- I, I just want to interject here. This is very important that we keep this alive. And those of you who do live in the area to contact uh, the Collin County DA's office and their 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 public uh, affairs officer and ask for why. What is the reason they're not pursuing the death penalty? And if the, and and whatever reason they give, then why wouldn't that apply to anyone else? Who in the entire world would be a greater candidate for the death penalty than this individual? And then number two, do you plan on even taking a single case to trial? This there is no precedent for for something like this. Uh, even on something that is not nearly the scale and magnitude of the Shamir Mir murder spree. Um, and I'll just tell you, Daniel, in my experience as working in, in the news industry, when you see unbelievable anomalies in the lead up to an event, during it, and after, it's not a coincidence. There's something not right there. It's too many things. You know, when it was Dallas County, we we chalked it up. Okay, they're a bunch of leftists. Maybe that's just how they are. But that's certainly, as you know, not the case with Collin County. They always would embrace the opportunity to be tough on crime, you know, make a name for yourself uh, 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 prosecuting a, a capital case. You're not going to get a more sympathetic case than this. There's no constituency and, for Billy Shamir Mir. So what do you think is going on? I, I don't know. This, this case in Collin County, on several of them, it's a slam dunk. They've got DNA. They've got everything. It's the phone, the cameras, of, everything. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I can't explain why they're yellowing out, turning chicken to pursue this any further. But, but again, it's not just that they're not pursuing it. It seems like you had to bother them to just be recognized to begin with. Um, and and obviously from day one there was no follow up on your homicide investigation, and, and and this is really what we need to, in my view, imbue in police departments that, you know, if you have no prima facie reason to believe that there's a murder, fine, there's no murder. But if you see these circumstances, it shouldn't matter whether they're forty or ninety. Um, it's you, age discrimination. Yeah, there's 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 no question about that, and I think we see that all over society, which is kind of yeah, silly. Because we're all going to get to that age. If somebody murdered five children in a daycare, this would be 24-7 forever. But because it's elderly uh, in senior living facilities, uh, not such a big deal. It's funny. I've always disagreed. I don't understand why. That, That goes back to what is the value of any life. What is the value of life? And I've always disagreed with news articles, politicians that would say, especially children or even or like I, the Bible does not create such a distinction, in my view, at least a life is a life. And it, it just doesn't work that way. And, um, you know, but when it comes to public policy, that's the question. You have the security for schools. Uh, yay big now. And you could have a facility like this that's just, you could just, I mean, I thought the guy had all these plans to come in, but I found out in one of the facilities, he was on camera for a hundred hours, just trolling the place. <laughs> now, what what if he had used uh, a firearm? 
Ah. You, you, think, you think this would be a little bit different? Interesting, sure, Daniel. <laughs> and, and also, I hate to say it, but again, you just see how, um, you know, murder is murder, and there are um, a, a lot of crazy ways that that a, a sociopath could think of murdering someone. I mean, here we're talking about basically a pillow. So, again, the problem is the murderer, the, the need is deterrent. It's not so much the focus on the item. I always say it's like, you know, when someone uh, points to the moon, the idiot focuses on the finger. <laughs> it's it's yeah. not the, the weapon of choice that matters um, because you could wreak a lot of havoc with, with almost anything. Um, but, but seniors are very vulnerable. Um, they have less, you know, cognitive awareness, reflexes, ability to, to, to uh, evade a situation. And uh, that's, that's what we saw here. Any closing thoughts before we sew up here? Well, we, um, we are working with legislation, some successful and some not, to improve uh, the state laws to um, improve security, namely uh, name tags, home, uh, more cameras, monitoring, better training. Um, you know, I've, I've gone into hospitals where they take a picture of you and put that on your name tag and also put on where you're going in the hospital for security. You know, there's take care of the elderly like you take care of the children. That that is that is a really good message. Um, and and I because think... y'all, y'all are gonna y'all are gonna be there someday. <laughs> no, there, there's no question about it. Life goes by fast and. Um, the reality is, I think, I think we need to make it very clear to be pro-life is is whole life from conception to natural death to natural death. And and like I said two weeks ago, COVID really brought this out. It's it's very surreal for me covering the story before COVID. And then on the other side of it, we, we really should learn, you know, based on what we saw in the hospitals, um, it was, I mean, it was like, oh, you're over 70. You ain't coming out of that thing alive. It was just, it's just a matter of, putting you on the ventilator and there's no desire to to look for alternative therapies that hey look you know um you know obviously when you have someone who's 95 and they're in a lot of pain and maybe i could do multiple procedures that you know that so yeah you have to weigh the cost benefit analysis but 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 i think what we're starting to see and i hear this all over in hospitals sometimes you'll have someone that has a lot of mileage left to them and and it's just there's this lack of regard it's something we need to deal with culturally we need, you know a little bit on a public policy level like you noted with security in these places we have security everywhere we're monitored and i forgot there's a statistic how many times a week the average person is surveilled in this country we're practically a police state i mean there's cameras everywhere so that you know and and this wasn't 50 years ago i mean this was relatively recently 2016 2018 it's astounding how the cameras alone i mean that 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 in itself bothers me but i promise you as as much as you guys work with me to help me educate myself on this I will try to raise awareness with myself and my colleagues and try to put pressure on the local officials. Uh, Daniel, I mean, obviously we can't bring anyone back to life, but um, I know you're a Catholic minister. You've done work in, in, in ministry for, for many years, and obviously the next world is the main world, and, and, and she's in a very good place at, at this point, and, and our job is just to do justice in this world uh, as a partner with God. Daniel, thanks so much for joining us and looking forward to following up on this. My pleasure. God bless. Take care.
Well, folks, that was certainly very sobering and uh, very heavy. And, and I appreciate you guys indulging me. Obviously, a lot of you want to hear about the news of the day. This is not something that you're going to hear about. It's not going anywhere, although it should. But there is a part of me that wants to do more shows like this just because, in all honesty, I don't feel like I'm achieving anything in politics because it's irremediably broken. So sometimes when you could shed light on a very specific case, you can get something done for people and actually do some justice. So so that's what I'm motivated with here. Um, let me know if you guys have any, any insight, anything to offer, anything you know about this case. Daniel Hurwitz at startmail.com is the email. Uh, we're, we're out of time. We have a lot I wanted to get to uh, on the COVID vaccine genocide. There's new stuff on that. Obviously, the budget stuff, political stuff. I will just say, as we're, we're closing out today, I am seeing that the Daily Mail has dropped a big report on what we all knew about for years, um, but there's more evidence now of Governor Kristi Noem's longstanding affair with Corey Lewandowski. This is not the type of thing I normally care to cover, and I don't plan on covering, but I will just say this. We have a general problem. It's not just we have a bunch of rhinos on the issues. Now, to be clear, you could have someone who's very feisty and amazing on our issues and is horrible as a person. You could have someone who is a rhino but is a good family man. I think from all we can see, Mitt Romney appears to fit that description. But in general, part of the problem we have in the conservative movement is we have people who live the lifestyle of the left. Okay, and it shows. And this is one of the things that really, to me, is a selling point about Ron DeSantis and what we need in the country now. We need for people to point to a first family as, wow, we finally don't have a broken family. They're married. They love each other. They have kids. It's just there's too much of this going on. There's almost not a single person around Trump that I see that is not either dabbling in homosexuality, adultery, not married. I just, he's almost like a magnet for this. And at some point, and this does harken back to the show today, we do have to live our values. It's kind of like with pro-life too. It's just, oh, it's a talking point. I'm trained in politics to obsess about abortion and only abortion all day. No, if you really care about life, you would have focused on the hospital genocide and the what goes on in senior care facilities. But also, you got to live the life of a conservative. And, and you know, again, sometimes you'll have, um, you know, you're, you're, you're at the bottom of the ninth inning and it's a general election. You have no choice. You have a Democrat that's horrible, a Republican that's somewhat better. So I, I'm not telling you not to vote for the guy just because he committed adultery at some point. But we, the problem is we've become almost like okay with it. Like this is all great. And no, you work prospectively to build a movement around people that don't have these problems. Like, if I know ahead of time in a primary that we have an opportunity to get certain candidates and there's a certain candidates that has moral issues, to me, that is a problem just as much as it would be if the candidate, let's say, supported the vaccines or supported uh, green energy subsidies or something like that. But but it's not a surprise when you find certain people that behave a certain way politically, almost like they almost act like a political prostitute. Sometimes, just maybe, they're doing that in their personal life as well. And conversely, 
sometimes when people cheat on their spouses, just maybe, just maybe, they're screwing you too. Might be some fodder for thought over the weekend. Hope you guys do have a terrific family-oriented weekend. We'll see you back here same time, same place on Monday. God bless you all, and thank you for listening.